Hey friends, welcome to the Intuitive Mother Podcast, the podcast created to help you awaken, heal, and connect to your truth and your desires as you journey home to you in the midst of motherhood. I'm your host, Angie Schaefer, wife, mom of two teen daughters, intuitive life coach and Reiki healer, creator of The Awoken Woman and spiritual joy seeker. Each week, we'll come together and chat just as if we are on my sofa, side by side, sharing sacred space. It is my greatest hope to help other moms by offering insights, interviews, and straight up truth on all things motherhood and womanhood to guide your journey home with a friendly and healing vibe. Our time is now. Let's go. Hey friends, today we have our first special guest of 2021 on the Intuitive Mother podcast. Her name is Chandra. She's a teen empowerment coach, lead facilitator for a transformational organization called CORE, and the director of training and programming for CORE's nonprofit branch for teens. She started her career as a middle school special ed teacher in Oakland, California, As she started to burn out as a teacher, she realized that her true passion lied in fostering self-acceptance, leadership, and self-esteem in young women. That's when she became a teen empowerment coach dedicated to supporting teens realize their gifts and navigate the emotional ups and downs of their teenage years. She has combined her love of teaching with her passion for personal development, concentrating on core facilitation, a thriving personal coaching practice, and teen group programs. She has a degree in psychology and education from UC Berkeley. She's been trained in therapy modalities such as somatic experiencing, gestalt therapy, parts work, nonviolent communication, and mindfulness practices. She's completed a 400-hour transformational leadership and advanced facilitation training through CORE, where she enhanced and refined her coaching, counseling, and facilitation skills. She's currently working on the development of a new group transformational program for teens through the CCF designed to support teens in fostering self-compassion, healthy communication tools, and a healthy body image. Welcome to the podcast, Chandra. She is a special soul in my life. I'm so excited to have her here for the very first guest spot of the new year. She has shared her time and wisdom and love for helping teens with one of our daughters and I knew from the very first moment that I met her that we would meet again on this podcast. So I am super excited to share her with all of you and bring her wisdom and love of teens and all the ways that she sees motherhood impacting the girls that she works with in her coaching practice to you today. So listen in and we'll get started. All right. So on today's episode of The Intuitive Mother, we have Chandra Lamott and she is a teen empowerment coach 
and lead facilitator for a transformational organization called CORE. And she holds a special spot in our family as she has actually had some personal work with our daughter. And um, I'm super excited to have you here today and chat with everyone because I know for the past six to nine months, I have learned so much from you working with our family that it only made sense to me to have you pop on as a guest of the podcast and tell us a little bit about you. And then also we'll get to chat about how you see motherhood and how it's playing into the girls that you work with in your coaching private practice and also how you can pull all the transformational work that you do for CORE into your work. So tell us a little bit about you and thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I love you and your family. And just to start off, I want to say, I think that this podcast is so important and necessary. So just thank you, Angie, for starting this, you know, and the work that you've done within yourself to really create this. Um, Yeah. 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 And so, (laughs) um, yeah, I guess to answer your question a little bit about myself. So I, you know, I think maybe where I'll start my journey is I grew up and was very much that type A perfectionist, um, very, very critical of myself or always striving to be the best to achieve to be perfect. Uh And, you know, in many ways, I would say, society very much rewarded me for that as I was growing up, either around the way I looked around the way that you know, schooling, whatever else. And even it was, you know, in my little teenager head, it's also how I received love and safety from my family and my parents even, you know, was, oh, they're happy when I get good grades. So this must be a good thing and I'll continue this. And yeah, so that eventually led me to Berkeley where I became incredibly inspired to become a teacher. Um, I just felt like education was such a transformational tool to be able to use with young kids. And so that's when I became a middle school teacher in Oakland. And I was specifically a uh, resource specialist. So I was a special ed teacher, but that basically meant I was working with students with mild or moderate learning disabilities. Um, They were in gen ed classes all day. They just had one period with me, an elective. And so what was so cool was I got so much freedom in that job. And because I got to create whatever I wanted to in the study skills class that I taught and in supporting them. And that I think just really fostered my deep love of teenagers. I even was lucky enough to cycle through with, I had a group of sixth graders I worked with my first year of teaching and cycled through with them all the way to eighth grade. Wow. And Yeah. And just be able to grow with them and work with them. I just learned to love teenagers so much. I got to see, you know, a lot of the gifts that they bring, the way that they are observing the world, the way that they are, you know, solidifying their own individuality and a sense of who they are. And eventually what that led me to was, you know, a lot of my time in teaching, I was doing a lot of my own personal growth work and transformational work. And that's when eventually I realized that 
the work I was doing as a teacher, the things that I loved the most were actually not the things that were my job, (laughs) nor what I was supposed to be paid for. I was supposed to be writing, you know, (laughs) individualized educational plans um, to be supporting them a lot in creating book reports, you know, doing well in school. But what I loved the most is when they would have, you know, have to navigate the emotional ups and downs of being a teenager when they would have to navigate turmoil in their life or even relationships with an adult or a teacher in their life. That was what I loved the most. And so after I went through a leadership training, got trained in how to coach, that's when I became a teen empowerment coach. Uh-huh. Um, and since then, yeah, have worked with love. I love working with teen girls. I love working with teenagers. I love working with families. And it is just, I feel really grateful to have this role in a family as well. I'll uh-huh. say that because I think this is such a special and unique time for teenagers too, where they're both like pulling away from their parental figures um, <laughs> in an effort to assert their individuality and who they are. But they also need guidance and support. They need someone that they can talk to. So like, I feel, it feels like a very privileged role to have um, Mm -hmm. to be there supporting them. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I can say, I mean, my goodness, there two things came to mind as you were talking. I remember sitting in our older daughter's sixth grade orientation and the principal saying, the teachers you see here working in this school want to work with your teenage children that are sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. These are years that define them. These are Mm -hmm. the years that they break into their individualization and break away from mom and dad a little bit and become who the beginnings of who they truly are going to be. And these teachers want to be here. So I was thinking as you're saying that, like you love middle school age kids. And I used to always say like, I love these years. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's some, everybody tells you that you're going to, the mom of a teenager, it's going to be all eye rolls and screaming and door <laughs> slamming, and, you know, sneaking out at night secrets or whatever. Yeah. And I think I was scared, although that's not how I was as a teenager. I was still scared, but then I was like, what if that's not the case? And what if we embrace <laughs> embrace who they are and like is it it's okay for them to express themselves a little differently Mm -hmm. and like not always look at it as a hit on me or their dad or whatever so I love that you love working with that age group as well I um you know I think I will always look back at motherhood and these will be the years that I think were the most defining for our family Mm -hmm. for our daughters and for myself as a woman and I love that you love working with them. I mean, your impact, the first time we ever chatted and really we were looking for just, you know, someone that would see and hear our daughter and help her through those challenges of being a teen girl who was sort of finding herself, figuring out how she fit in school, friendship struggles to bringing baggage along from elementary school into who you are now. And I knew that that couldn't be just me doing that, Mm. that to be wise about this would mean that I'd have to pull in someone who had a background in working with teens, someone that she trusted, someone that was not necessarily reminding her of mom, 
but mm-hmm. had similar values as mom. I mean, clearly we weren't going to bring in a coach who would like, we'd be totally different ends of the spectrum as to how we would, you know, help her through things. But um, I just, I remember the very first conversation and you and I were talking and you said about having our daughter pop into the call one time or scheduling one with her to see how she felt. My call walk away with, from that one. I was like, this is, this is who <laughs> she's going to work with. Like I can tell. And then I remember her speaking to you and coming off and she's like, I want to work with her. And this was after, you know, time working with other professionals trying to find somebody to just help guide her. Cause I think a lot of times we worry right away that our kids need help Mm -hmm. or that there's this much bigger problem than what there really is, is that they just need guidance. And just like what you do, like somebody to empower them to see their strengths and they just to see themselves and to be seen and heard. And you definitely in that role, just create this sense of the sacred safe space for her to be herself. And on the flip side, as the mom, I just know I 100% trust it. Like whatever she's going to come out and tell me is fine. And whatever she's not, I know she's in good hands. So I can see that in you, just that love of that age group and that love of what you do. And I think it's a wonderful story how you got there through teaching because essentially you're still a teacher and you're teaching you know what I mean like I think so many coaches that I know were teachers they were or they wanted to be a teacher and that was you know always their dream and here they are teaching in a totally different way than what they foresaw years ago or whatever but yeah so As you know, from chatting with me, a huge part of what I do and what I really have found my focus in is mothers healing their own wounds and how wounds are showing up in children, in their daughters specifically, Mm -hmm. and helping the mother to become the mother of her dreams because it can't happen unless she truly does her own work. And so one of the things I thought about talking to you about was as a teen empowerment coach, how do you see the mother's wounds that are unhealed? Well, she's at this point not even realizing that there's anything that she needs to quote unquote work on. Um, how do you see that showing up in the teen girls mm-hmm. that you work up, work with? Yeah, that's a... That's a great question. And I think I'll just acknowledge that if, you know, for anyone listening to this is such a tender topic, I feel like too. Um, And I actually want to acknowledge anyone listening to this because my experience is the mothers with the most courage are the ones who are willing to turn towards their own wounds, to turn towards whatever pain might be in them that they may pass on and not to turn towards themselves in that wounding in a place of self-criticism, but rather compassion. Uh and courage you know because actually you could either go into complete shame and blaming yourself which is ultimately not helpful to your daughter or you can go into like just ignoring and be like no this is her these are her issues these are her faults this isn't about me ignoring that and not being able to actually inquire into that and face that which again also is not helpful to her so 
I just want to honor like you and anyone listening to this call or anyone working with you of just uh, what a profound impact that has on your daughter that you're even willing to look. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. And for everyone I work with, that's what I, it, being willing to, I always say sit in the stillness. Little did I realize that stillness was going to lead me to my healing, that if I could sit in the stillness and be present in that moment with them, that I would discover what was really coming up and coming through Mm -hmm. and what was passing on through me to them. And then, you know, for the women that I work with, like how you navigate walking through that with them. Um, You know, I often say to you, I think I've said to you and I say to people like my, I always feel my best role with my daughters is to walk with them. I can't, Mm. I'm not living their life, but we're going to live, we live these lives parallel and with each other and we're walking through and they've been my greatest teachers. And I think most mothers will say that have, especially those that have done some work and discovered is that our daughters, our sons as well, I'm sure, but my daughters, I know, they are our greatest teachers and they lead us to what needs to be healed. Yeah. And that's where it becomes like, where are you seeing those unhealed patterns? You know, what things are coming through for the daughters? That, yes. Because you have a wealth of insight to that. <laughs> While I work with the moms, you work with the teen daughters. <laughs> so you have a wealth of insight as to how that comes through for the daughters. I yes. just know for my two. <laughs> Yeah. So I think, you know, some of the key ways that that comes through is typically within your daughter, there is going to be either an absorption of your wound, meaning they will take it on, take on also the strategies that you use to try to protect that wound. Um, so for example, right, let's say one of those woundings is body image. And um, the way that you relate to your body, uh, which is such a common wound for women in our society based on how society treats women, objectifies women, this makes sense. And you will see women or girls absorb those body image issues from their mother because unconsciously, like, pardon me, um, unconsciously, they have listened to their mother talk about their body, mm-hmm. her body. They listen to their mother compare herself to other women's bodies. They have um, listened to their mother even talk about dieting or comment on her own daughter's body. Like they, she has taken mm-hmm. all of that in and typically she absorbs that where then that becomes how she relates to her body. And so That's one key thing I often see, as well as it can be in relationships, romantic relationships, particularly if, you know, you're in, you know, let's say you're in a heterosexual relationship or one with a man, like if she's also interested in relationships with men, she will probably mirror what she saw and absorb and take on those woundings with men too, that whatever the mother had as well. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes she will respond in the exact opposite way. So it's kind of this polarization that you often see. So an example is if one mother has a real wounding around, um, you know, her own parents and how they were really, 
didn't give her any guidance growing up. And so the only way that she can cope or deal with that was to exert a lot of control over her life, be a perfectionist. Um, then what you'll see is the daughter will end up sometimes either becoming that perfectionist too, or will actually become the antithesis of that where she's like, <laughs> screw school. I don't care. I don't care about any of that. Like has a messy room, you know, just doesn't care. And this is what the mother has learned. Okay. This is how I find my sense of control or safety. And so it will like push up against that a lot, which is often where you see a lot of the fighting as well. Yeah. So there's, it could be for almost <laughs> I'm laughing because of my two daughters. I was the perfectionist. So I had to embrace control to feel like any control was in my life as a child. And then also as a teenager and it continued. So I have one daughter whose room is perfection. (laughs) One who I, I just got to the point where I was like, we're just going to shut the door. So I don't even have to look and see, because there was a point where I realized like, when she started saying to me, what does this really matter to you? And like, if I'm okay living in this and I'm like, okay, well, to an extent that I I will allow that (laughs) I will embrace the identity of like, well, if this works for me, but to another extent, you have to be able to take care of your things and have some orderly fashion and not like tripping over stuff. And, um, you know, thankfully when the puppy came around, <laughs> that cleaned it right up <laughs> because, because we can't have him eating things, but it's funny that you mentioned the control. Cause I had then, you know, it's crazy. Cause here I am raising them. What I would think was the same way, Yeah. but the way they saw me function and live on a daily basis and run our household, they took it to two different extremes. And one mm-hmm. has the extreme perfectionistic tendency and one not quite so much, but then we saw it show up in other areas yeah. of her life and how that one wound or one trigger just starts triggering on just, you know, different daughters, different ways and everything, how it comes up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That has definitely yeah. been you know, something on our end. And I think to me that it also comes into the embracing of the two different personalities and two different daughters and how I believe there were generations before us that treated each child as almost the same. Mm -hmm. Like if your older siblings like this, then you should be like this and so on and so forth. And it rolled all the way down through all the line of children. And then that younger child often felt that need to perfect up to whatever, or, or if the first child was the one who was less of a perfectionist, then the other one was making up for it. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, took that over and wanted to do better, please the parent because they saw the parent upset by the way the first child was doing something and how all that control just spills out into years of what I think is just the chain of that one little wound that we haven't healed or maybe even noticed. And, you know, that even makes me think about like, do you notice certain insight in a sense of like when girls are telling you things like certain moments where moms do notice or the insight that would maybe help them notice that there's 
something that's triggering from their connection and their relationship with their daughter more so than just my daughter's acting up and that's just her stuff, not me. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I think, you know, so one of my trainings is in particular nonviolent communication. And so I really always look at what are people's unmet needs that are driving their behavior. And when I work with teenagers, what I'm often looking at is based on their triggers, what's coming up, um, their pain points, what is that unmet need that would actually really support them in this moment? Not what mm -hmm. do I think that they need? What does the parent think they need or the mother think they need? But actually, what are they asking for? What do they need? And that, what is the unmet need there? And I think, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that's often where I do try to support parents or what I can see where I'm like, ah, oh, the parent is really, really trying. So an example might be the um, child is, I'm trying to think of a specific one. Um, so the child is really struggling in school and uh, the parent, you know, is like, okay, well, what do we need to do? Oh, I'll take away your phone. I will like you're expected to get particular grades, you take away, I take away your phone, what's wrong, what's happening, like they go in and overtly try to advise or fix the situation. Um, when actually a lot of what teenagers developmentally are also wanting is a sense of being seen and understood. Uh -huh. And so if you come in immediately with a particular struggle they're having in their life where you're like, oh, I just want to take away your pain or I want to fix this, right? And again, actually, I would invite parents to look at and moms to look at why do I want to fix this? What is uncomfortable about this for me? Um, and then from there it's, but they go into advising or fixing. And most of the time what the team needs first is, okay, so what is going on? Would you be willing to share with me? Like they need to be heard first. Uh -huh. They need to have the space to not feel like they are wrong or bad. Uh -huh. And typically when parents go into advice giving, um, because it's hard for them to sit with their child's pain, the child automatically somehow takes on my pain or my mess ups, make me unlovable, make me bad, make me wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, versus, you know, those can actually be opportunities for connection, right? If the parent can heal their own wounding around sitting with suffering, because mm -hmm. that's what I imagine what stirs a lot for parents is you don't ever want your child to suffer. Like you, mm -hmm. you want your child to have the best possible life and to take away their pain or suffering. I think it's like biologically even wired into us, but mm -hmm. the natural part of being human is your teenager will suffer. Mm -hmm. Your teenager will make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so it's a question of how do you relate to that suffering, you know, and how do you even relate to your own suffering mm -hmm. um, or pain or emotions? And typically you'll notice parents will treat their child similarly, but mm -hmm. that's not actually giving the child what they, or the teenager, what they need, which right. is often first to be heard, to be understood, to still know that who they are, as they are, is loved and worthy and good, mm -hmm. regardless of outside actions. Um, and to be really understood about what is going on in their world. And then they're more open to what can I do? What can mm -hmm. we do together? As you kind of said of that walking path together. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that always comes up so much for me, the walking path, because I feel like we're taught growing up 
the generation before us, you know, our mothers, our grandmothers, it was always, I'll tell you what to do. Yeah. Versus we'll work together in a collaborative relationship. I mean, imagine that, that you're in a collaborative relationship with your children. And most of us don't think that's actually what we're in. But if you take a step back and look at it, that we're both on our own journey, our journeys met, I'm your mother, I'm here to guide you and give you love and support. But I, you know, if I will also allow you to explore that Mm -hmm. who you are, otherwise we continue this cycle I always said to my daughters, the reason I went gung-ho into my own healing was that I wanted to stop the cycle that they would not be 40 and wondering who they were, Mm -hmm. that that would not get passed down because I could not even count on just my two hands, how many women I knew who were expressing their feelings that were, this is before coaching, like they were my friends, they were acquaintances. And they're like, yeah, I don't really know who I am. I don't know what I do. I'm not sure. And they be- and then we become so obsessed with controlling who our children will become that we don't even allow them, you know, our daughters, even our sons to explore who are they really, who do they really want to be? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had one of our daughters walked away from a swimming you know, school swimming competitively for years. And I know that there were, that could have been looked at in some families or whatever. It would have been like, wow, you just put in all that and now you're just going to up and walk away. That's a failure. That's a, you know, you're giving up your, (laughs) the list goes on and on. And I mean, you see it portrayed in movies. You know, I'm thinking about even one of her favorite movies was always High School Musical. And in that movie, Troy walks away from just being a basketball player to embrace this theater side of him. And it was probably one of the first movies I remember watching as a parent where you saw that, like the turmoil of the teenager as to how to have that discussion with their parent. And, um, you know, I always wanted to give that to our daughters, that if at any point this is no longer your dream, we will support you on your dream big time. And we will be at every swimming match or every performance or whatever. But when you decide that your dream is something else and you're exploring something else, then we're going to walk with you on that path. And that cycle of seeing them, it's just what it, when you say like their unmet need of being seen and supported and just that seen and heard for who they are is something that I, I believe my generation did not necessarily have as much. So it's hard. It was a hard lesson to learn to just sit in the stillness of seeing and hearing them in their pain. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, seeing your child in their pain is your pain as well as essentially it probably also happened to you in some way, shape or form. So it exemplifies that childhood trauma of your own life, but then you're also their parent. And as a parent, we are as infants, you take away every pain they have. You, They cry, you try to feed them. They cry, you pick them up. You, they cry, you're constantly trying to meet their needs. And then suddenly you're supposed to, you know, you realize this isn't 
best that there's they need to experience some of that suffering and that it will help them grow and learn and also identify who they are and Mm -hmm. but sitting in the pain is definitely hard and I've had I had to have many of conversations with friends that were principals at elementary schools and just saying things like this is what's going on at home with you know this daughter you know are you really listening and then they would always say are you really listening like do you really know what they need and you think you do for because you're the mom and you think you know best and it took you know a few years of recognizing what a minute maybe I don't know exactly maybe I'm fixing so quickly because I do want to take away their pain and um you know, I just shared with another mom who's going to be on the podcast in a few weeks that every mother, I believe, wants to be the mother of their dreams when they become a mom. And that was me. I And not that my mom was not, but I feel like we either look at our our mom and there's some stuff that we, we want to either be her exemplified, like even bigger than her, or if you didn't have a great relationship you want to fix all that and be the mother of your dreams. But every child also wants, they don't come into life wanting to fight with us all the time and have those harsh conversations or screaming, especially like teens, like that's not what they, they don't want that. So then it comes to a point of, I feel on the journey where you start exploring what's really going on here. Um, why am I triggered by what they're, you know, what they're going through or whatever, whether it's body image or school or bullying or the path they want to take college, not college or whatever. Why does all of that anxiety, just everything. I mean, I feel like in my own motherhood, I spent a lot of lessons along the way that I didn't think would come up because they weren't ever on my radar and then when they did, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I realized, oh, that's also a wound for me. Like there's something that is unhealed in my own life. And for many, many years, I didn't even realize they were wounds. It was, um, you know, I, I had to sit with the recognition of actually when the wound is being poked at. I think I've shared that with you before that I either say like my wound is either being poked at by a chopstick or cut at with a steak knife, (laughs) like depending on how harsh the the wound is or how big the event is that my daughter is going through and how that feels for me. Sometimes I'm just being poked and sometimes it feels like somebody's taking a knife and stabbing at it (laughs) or whatever. And it's harder to sit in that. But um, I have I had personally seen the transformation of sitting in it and walking through it with them, which is what then became the momentum behind the awoken mother, the intuitive mother, and just intuitively following where you're led with your child and also teaching them to intuitively follow their inner voice, their you know inner knowing that is not always, it's not mine. So I have to allow that to be explored, even if it's not the voice that I would say is coming up for me. And mine sometimes comes out of fear, as does theirs, and just walking through that together. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned the seen and heard, which is definitely 
I have realized in every situation of somebody I've worked with or my own daughters, that is what we all want at the, mm. at the root of everything. We want, you know, love, but in that love is not just a superficial, you know, top level love. It's that depth of connection and to be seen and heard and truly mm. understood but to the best of what we're both able to. And, you know, I know I often say to my daughters, like some of what I'm going through, they may not understand or stuff I say until they're older, but that we'll do our best to understand each other and to be open with each other as to what we're feeling. And I wondered if as a coach and as someone, even with your core work, the um, depth that you've seen, like how to, build and foster that connection with your daughter in that stage, like that you're, you're healing and you, obviously there's some stuff like how much is, do you ever see like how much is too much that the mom is exploring and sharing with her daughters? What age, you know, I feel like I'm a very open book with my daughters and obviously not completely open, but open to the extent where I think some moms tend to want to hide like some of their past and their past experiences as to not burden or um, expose themselves either. But if any of that ever comes up in your work where you see like how to foster that connection, how to go deep in your own healing and share that with your daughter and walk through that with her, if that makes sense. It does. I, that's a great question. Um, that's a really what I would probably say is that's a, it's a fine line to walk because I think, and so it's always coming back to and looking at for yourself, what is my, what draws me to sharing this? Is there, mm -hmm. you know, what are some of my motivations? But I do think there's this piece of, you know, mothers that hold all of their stuff in, you know, um, I, their daughter will unconsciously get anyways, to be honest. Like she okay. will unconsciously know what you are going through. So okay. if you don't talk about it, then actually what she learns is we don't talk about our pain here. Uh -huh. Or maybe it's what she learns is you talk about everyone else's pain except for your own. So we can listen to everyone else. Like a mom might listen to her daughter a ton, but like hold back everything in herself. So that daughter takes on, okay, so this is how I'm supposed to be in the world, right? Is mm -hmm. I give love to others. I caretake others. I listen to them, but there's no space for my own reaction. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. sometimes parents can go into oversharing where they want to be vulnerable, but it's this quality of like, I'm so angry and mad. And they'll like say at you or because the parents are almost trying to offshoot their pain or put it on anyone else, but deal with it themselves, then the daughter might learn, okay, so it's my job to take care of my mom then, uh -huh. you know, it's my job to take care of her or become the parent in that situation. So if you are sharing to the point where you are sharing so that your child makes you feel better, so that your child makes you feel loved, uh -huh. right? Because they are this source of unconditional love. That's not a healthy place to share from. Uh -huh. But if you are sharing from love, like we're both on this journey together and I want to like share what I'm going through, 
um, consciously, right? So you get to hear about my process and hear how I am processing this. That feels a lot different than trying to use your daughter for love, which is bound to happen. I'm sure, you know, when I become a parent, I will do that too. <laughs> you know, like it's just, these are human things or right. trying to shield your daughter from pain that you are experiencing, but she'll sense it. She'll feel it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think it's, it's how do you share it present, like in the present moment, present with yourself where you are able to be with your own suffering and emotions or your own process and share that with her. But it's such a beautiful journey for her to hear. You know, I'm thinking of an example might be like one, is it okay if I share an example that you use that I heard? Sure. Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're a pretty open book on the podcast. (laughs) The girls are always like, so what'd you talk about? (laughs) The one thing you did is when your daughter was struggling with friendships, right? you said, this is what I noticed is this is triggering some of my own friendship pieces or my own desire to be liked. And I noticed that growing up, here's how I responded to those situations. Mm -hmm. I um, wanted people to, I wanted to keep peace. So I generally didn't bring up issues. And that's sometimes what I want to tell you to do, right? Because I want to tell you to heal these things, but I'm, you know, I'm questioning for myself, is that actually what's best for you? So you shared about your process and what was going on and what touched in her. So she got to hear like one, what does it actually look like to heal our wounds and to reflect on them and to sit in that stillness, which is so important for that to be modeled for her. But then she's also given permission to not have to like to find her own journey in this. So then she, I think she said afterwards, she's like, well, why is it that I want to pull away so much though? Like, why am I so not wanting to make peace in this situation? Uh And okay. So I have an initial reaction of anger. Is that healthy? Maybe I'll look at how my mom or sister would respond and see if there's truth in that. Uh Like it, it helped her process what was coming up for her around this Uh Um, through you not saying, you know, not fixing and saying, Hey, you need to go in and fix this. Just say, you're sorry. Well, um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> we say all the time, we were just saying to the girls last night, like for many, many years, and you really helped us to even recognize us and then to promote those relationships and fostering that, um, anger or confrontation differently. Cause for years, my husband and I are both typically we were people pleasers in a sense we didn't say much you know if somebody walked all over us as children and everything you know fine whatever we just wanted friends yeah <laughs> so if she had issues we would say like well they're probably going through something yeah. maybe they're having a bad day it's okay you should do this you should do that and with her working with you what became a first off you should <laughs> the minute I say you should I should I need to <laughs> I should <laughs> back up and be like hmm, why am I telling her what to do yeah. at this at this stage uh, in her life you know at anywhere from gosh I mean I don't even know when I should have started that but I know for sure like now 10 11 12 13 14 15, you start to establish that they have a good sense of mature decisions on their own. And, and even if they don't, it's okay to choose something and realize later that that wasn't the best choice for them, as long as they're making that choice and we're not dictating it to them. 
so we had been so used to saying like, well, you should give them another chance or I'm sure they didn't really mean it like that. And then with her working with you, she was able to explore this is okay and this is not okay. Like this is not okay. It doesn't feel good for me to be treated this way. This is not how I'm going to allow someone in my life. And I think she would always talk to me about like friends that like you could keep this friend at this level friend, but not this level friend. And these are the ones that you really let in. And these are the ones where, okay, I'm friends. And I think, you know, I would always say those were more like, well, I can be civil, but truly I'm not going to let you all the way in. And, um, you know, that's really helped with her to explore how to approach those of her own triggers and how to navigate the friendships and, you know, cause friendships are huge with teen girls and, um, I've had to be honest. I mean, even with our other daughter who will often say things about friendships, I will, you know, try to share that I did not have 15 best friends when I was a teenager, you know, and a lot of times I will even hear women say who had 15 best friends and these huge groups in high school that they really weren't truly deep friendships. They were very surface level and it was just high school (laughs) and that your best friends will come as you actually learn who you are more and you step into that and you express yourself. And then down the road from that, you'll attract the like-minded people into your life and your friendships will feel like they're overflowing with really great influences. But until you're on that path, it, it can be tricky. You can feel alone sometimes. And so that's when you're quick to, as a parent, I think want to fix that for them. Like, Oh, Hey, you know, it's okay. They can, they can do that, but you know, they can make you feel bad and you can still be their friend. And it worked well in our family to share about our past, but then also allow her to navigate what is okay for her. You know, even though we allowed maybe something that wasn't healthy, that's not okay to continue that. And for her to be seen and heard to express like, no, I'm not accepting that in my relationships. And I think in working with you, what our family, you know, one thing I noted was instead of having these conversations when she's dating a significant other who is walking all over her (laughs) or their abusive relationship or something, like everything you don't want to happen in a love relationship, it's better to foster this with friendships of her, you know, of our daughters realizing this is what I will be okay with. And this is what I will not be okay with. And like, here's my hard limits. And sometimes we, you know, depending, like maybe a friend, I know when she was working with you, like a friend one time, maybe there was something that you could explore more going, you know, that was one instance, but to note those patterns. And we would often talk to her about like, you know, learning to do this with friends is going to be so valuable as you get older and you're in a romantic relationship. And now, you know, like this is okay. And this is not okay. If you don't see me and hear me and note my presence, then that's like a hard limit for me. Like I need that. And I desire that. And it was helpful for definitely helpful for her to understand and feel supported by not just mom and dad saying that and sister, but like being supported by you and starting to understand her own needs 
better to support what she was voicing as what was hurting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's such a, it's, because it is, it's such a hard line, right? But you're right. I think I just, that's such a great piece that our friendships are this training ground for romantic relationships. And Mm -hmm. what do we, do we settle? Do we placate? Do we please? Do we shut everyone out? Like, how do we, you know, what Mm -hmm. do we actually need and what constitutes a healthy relationship does have so many overlaps and parallels with friendships. And I will say, yeah, when I work with teens, a lot of, she was referencing, I say like we have three tiers of friends, you know, or three (laughs) circles. I'll say you have your inner circle, which is the people you fully open up to, right? There's trust there. They have established that trust and there's equal give and take. Um, Mm -hmm. And these are the people that are your best friends. And then you have your close friends. And these are people you might not share everything with, but you also prioritize, you spend time with them. Um, And then you have your outside friends, which is more of your acquaintances, they might be in the friend group. um, But you know, we don't have to share everything with them or prioritize them because Uh they're not the people that, you know, we are closest with. And so I would just ask her, like, where do you think this person falls? Um, Rather than me trying to guess for her. And Uh then from there say, okay, so do you think you're appropriately treating her at that level or do you think she has the chance to become at a different level what would you need um and just constantly looking at those questions so then and then saying to her so how might you respond then because I also have that people pleaser in me I was very Mm -hmm. much a keep the peace sort of person that stayed with friends until I was just me so like that is hard for me sometimes when it's like oh just forgive them but I have to like actually ask them well where would you put them what's Mm -hmm. going on for you and you know, um, and is it actually healthy in this moment to say, screw you, I'm done. Right. <laughs> well, let's look at that. You know, have you given them an opportunity to meet your needs? Have you communicated this, you know? Um, and is this a person though, that's even worth the effort of communicating that with, mm-hmm. like, have they established some form of trust with you where you're willing to open up and say, here, this is actually what I'm needing. Um, right. So we just help try to discern where are they at in that, which is great because then it's like, okay, I don't have to. Yeah. Um, which I think then becomes such a good inquiry for the teen. I think that this is what's so good for moms too, is just like you did notice where is my gut reaction? How would I respond if I was in this situation? Just be willing to acknowledge that and then question that, like, Mm -hmm. is this the most needed in this situation? Um, what's my fear she doesn't do this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly like what pattern what am I what am I re- like what am I experiencing why am I responding through what experience of my own yeah. past my own fears that she's not going to have any friends that she's not you know going to be healthy that she's not you know going to survive if she doesn't go to college or whatever it is, you know, whatever we're being faced with, but with the friendships, like what is, what's coming up for me and being willing to sit, to sit in that. And maybe even just you share some of it, but you also get to explore and look back on your own past Mm -hmm. and recognize where maybe you could have handled things differently. Um, Areas that you wish looking back, you know, I always tell my girls about this situation. I had a friend in my wedding 
something happened. It was, we literally stopped talking six months after the wedding. We've not talked to this day. I would have thought she would have known my daughters <laughs> like very well. Could some things have been approached differently if we had been both taught communication and both been taught or example, um, especially the, just stating our needs or like just having a mature conversation about what was hurting, even if we were willing to explore why we were hurt and sharing that instead of pushing all the hurt down and then it blows up into this nasty anger. And, um, you know, I know for myself, but I feel like a lot of girls that are teenagers right now, their mothers likely experienced their mothers just push it all down. You know, yeah, don't yeah. share your feelings. Don't share what's causing pain. Because if you share that, they're going to leave you. They don't want to know. You know, your friend doesn't want to know. Your, that relationship didn't want to know. You're, you know, you wouldn't even share to your own mother what was really hurting because you were afraid that they, you know, that you were being judged or that they didn't understand. And um, to me, I always feel like one of the greatest things to do is just to try my best to put myself in where they're at and understand. But the only way for that to truly occur is for them to share their pain and then sit with it and guide them while also recognizing how is this coming up for me. And sometimes I need to do that on the backside by myself before I share with them how, actually, if I'm quick to share how that's coming up for me, it's that to me is a sign that it's not time to share it because it's, it's, I, I haven't processed what it really is and um, that it's better to take a few moments process. And then I do share a lot with them, you know, whether it was about friendships or relationships growing up or college or whatnot, relationships with your mom, but um, just healing all of, all of that. And I believe that if we help our teenagers heal and not even, no one's ever hundred percent healed. You know, it's what I always say to them. Like, I'm just, it's like we're peeling onions here. Like we got to layer off and now there's something else. So stuff isn't always a hundred percent healed, nor does it have to be, but that you're able to sit and recognize that something doesn't feel right. Yeah. And it's a trigger or some people say activation, but to me, it's, I know the feeling like if the burning sensation starts coming from my stomach up to my mouth, it, I'm definitely being triggered. And for so many years of motherhood, when that occurred, everything came spewing out of my mouth, whether it was good, bad, healthy or not, it was just my reaction. So I know I've podcasted in the past about like getting to the point of responding versus reacting that I can respond and that it's healthy for both of us to say, I, I hear you but I need to, for myself and for you, I need to walk away for a little bit and process and then we can have this conversation. And um, I know for myself as a mom that when I don't take that step back to process before the big response is typically when we would see these explosions of my reaction and um, which always ended up hurting them 
more because my reaction was harsher than my response, I think. And they're just lessons that are taught in, I, I just feel like all the generations prior, a lot of times that's just how it was taught to go through the motions. And I was just sharing about this with my husband the other day and how even on this, I, I don't work with men and sons, but I said, even when I look at him or he's really like the main one I would be able to talk about, but you see this progression of like, husbands always protected their wives from their stress, mm-hmm. their money worries, their protection of them. Um, And so now you have generations of these men still holding these wounds of, I have to protect her. I have to, like, like we're not strong enough to help ease that burden. And, you know, I've said to him, it's so much healthier if you acknowledge why do you, why do you feel like you have to protect me? Like we're in this together. We can proceed together. And, make the best choice for our family or whatever. But if you are, you know, for my husband, it was coming up like he was exhausted. And I was like, did you ever consider that your exhaustion is stress from like, and what are you, what are you keeping inside that's exhausting you? And I think that just plays out in all families. You see that in all families, but like you even see that with our girls or me, like if I'm exhausted, if any one of us humans is exhausted, a lot of times, if, you know, I said to him, there's totally a difference between being exhausted because you know, you didn't get enough sleep and exhausted because you're actually just depleted and overwhelmed and you can't function at that level anymore. And it's like your body is telling you slow down, maybe share the burden, maybe But I mean, this is like off topic to the girls, but I think it's so wise. Like, I don't, you know, maybe one day my husband and I will collaborate on a podcast, but just like looking at the wounds of even how dad proceeds to harbor things. And I have said to him often, I remember buying him a book when the girls were little, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And he read it. And I was like, you are one of the most influential relationships and figures in their life. When they find their significant other, they are going to compare him to you, like to our marriage. And so even in time exploring how that wound comes up for the dad, what's coming up and playing in. But most of with my daughters and I, our work and most of what I work with other women on is the mother-daughter connection to that role. But really, once I feel like once the mother starts awakening to how to heal her own wounds, then it helps the daughters embrace that. And like I said, then they're not 40 years old and still starting from the very bottom of like, oh, this is hurting my daughters. But then again, that's when you're willing to make change sometimes because you don't, none of us have children to want to harm them or say something that would be hard for them to navigate or whatever. You know, I always say to people, I wanted to be the mother of my dreams and I never ever wanted to hurt them, which is why sitting with their pain was one of the hardest things (laughs) because you knew in the deep down, some of it was your doing or what you had created with them. 
because of what you had brought with you. So, yeah. And I know you and I both love Glennon Doyle. And I share this with you all the time that she has like some quote out that says, you know, we have to mess up as parents so that when they're 40 and they mess up, that they realize that's okay because <laughs> mom messed up and I came out okay. And I always think it is knowing that acknowledging to them that we have maybe reacted versus responded, maybe given them advice that we should have allowed them to guide from their own inner knowing. Acknowledging that is far greater a lesson that will be remembered than the lesson of like, whew, mom just blew off you know, the handle and I don't like her for that. They're going to remember the healing part of the lesson that like if we back it up and say, I know I didn't show up how I should have and how you needed me. And I didn't create that base foundation for us before, but it's okay. We can go forward from here. And I think that's always a wise thought of even when we look back at our own past relationships with our mothers, our grandmothers, or our mothers and their mothers or whatnot, that we were always operating from the best we were able to and how we were taught. And so it's just that in that moment, that's where we're coming from. And then when you're willing to see what doesn't feel good um, any longer and willing to look at our daughters and see that they are here to teach us where we can, you know, where our greatest healing lies, where our greatest needs lie and our greatest dreams lie is that they're here to mirror it back to us is I believe one of the moments where then you realize and start to heal that bond and that relationship with them. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, I just want to echo that like in no way actually is the most effective parent, the perfect parent. <laughs> um, like I think that the most effective parent is a parent that allows and embraces their own humanity and allows and embraces the humanity of their teenager. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I think that that's all we're all really wanting is like, you know, will you love all of me? Mm -hmm. Will you stay with all of me? Mm -hmm. Acknowledge and hear and accept all of me. And I think that when, yeah, parents can say, Hey, I'm sorry and own that and come and respond with that, then your teenagers get to one and actually heal something in them. Cause most teens, they know all this. I'll just say like, they're very <laughs> aware of what is fair and not fair. Right. And they like, if you react in a way that goes like, you might say something, but you do something else. Um, you know, the example saying, well, I love you, but then go into like fixing, 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 like they, they feel that incongruence. Right. Oh. Um, I mean, the, I love you can, the, I love you is what stems the fixing, but oftentimes those two messages are like, I love you as you are, but if you're fixing, then technically do you really is what they question. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And so they already see it. So when you can actually acknowledge it, it settles something in their nervous system where then they do really actually feel seen and heard. Uh -huh. And it teaches, uh -huh. it heals something in them. It actually makes a more secure attachment. Uh -huh. um, 
you know, with like attachment theory, it's like this idea of secure attachments when we meet everyone's needs, but it's also, it's even deeper than that. It's where, when there was harm that was caused and the needs weren't met, that there's some sort of rekindling and mm -hmm. reconnection ownership of that is actually what also creates secure attachment and deep attachment. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, because if you were perfect, then your daughter is going to be constantly comparing herself against a perfect version of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. And then she also learns like that reflection piece. She learns how to take accountability without going into shame, right? She mm -hmm. learns how to be able to acknowledge the pain she's caused um, in her life. It just builds so many things from being able to, I think, be able to apologize and just from even making mistakes and then owning it. Like, mm -hmm. That in itself, I think, is actually the biggest gift you can give your daughter because then she learns because she loves you. Mm -hmm. So then she learns, okay, yeah. I still love my mom and she shared this with me. So maybe I'm still lovable too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. I mean, they absolutely, 100%, the love between the bond between a mother and a daughter. And I say that because I don't have sons and I know it's a child and a mother and whatnot, but that mother daughter and the recognition when they're teenagers that you are carrying a part of your mother with you. And just to establish that bond is so deep and you will walk with each other for as long as you're both here and you know mothers wish they are here to see them their daughters grow old and become even grandmothers or whatnot but it's so profound and when you mentioned the rekindling I truly was reminded that like it is possible to feel as the mom oh my gosh I'm off like I have led us to a bumpy road of a foundation. Our foundation is a little bit cracked at spots, even when you don't think that it is. And then able to sit in seeing and hearing them without interrupting to reestablish and rekindle that tighter connection and um, move forward together. That you know, you have the opportunity to heal what's there and maybe how you were responding when you didn't know better and move forward. And that, like you said, then teaches them that that's available for all of us, that compassion and self-forgiveness in, I think in all humans is just huge, but in motherhood, it just gets compounded because you're, you know, you do, you have to sit in self-forgiveness. And I've had many a friend say to me, you have to forgive yourself for how you reacted when you didn't know that that word was triggering your daughter or whatever. You have to, if you can't get to the point of compassion and forgiveness for yourself, you're not modeling it for them to forgive themselves and have compassion for themselves going forward. So that is, um, you know, a huge, huge step. And I truly, I, I look at you and think like, that is why I wish more moms, more families embraced having someone walk with their daughters and leading them. That's not just them, that they didn't look at whether it was looking into therapy or a family counselor or a teen empowerment coach or any kind of coach, just someone else to help guide them because we don't 
you know, all of us think we know everything when we become moms, like this is just, we know what is best for them, but what's best is sometimes they need someone to see and hear them and walk with them to give them the guidance for the words to have the conversations with mom. Because I think, you know, from being a little girl, they're raised, we're raised that like the person you wouldn't go up against is your, your mom until they become a teenager. And then suddenly that independence hits and it's like, wait a minute, mom, <laughs> like you said, I mean, I have been told many times, like, hold on, you said it like this and you're doing this. Yeah. Like even, even in my own, say in my business, they'll be like, well, you said this, but you're not doing that. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I hear you. And I know my daughter who works with you, our big thing is her and I both tend to procrastinate a little bit. And, um, it triggers me to see her procrastinate. Mm. And I had to get to the point where I was like, honey, it's because I procrastinate and I don't like that part of myself. And I don't want you <laughs> to not like that part of yourself when you're in your forties and you're still procrastinating. And I wish I had had a little more like oomph, like pushed around in me when I was younger to embrace like not procrastinating or why am I procrastinating? Mm -hmm. Like to dig deeper than just like, oh, you're being lazy. Yeah. But no, what's really going on? Like, why are you, are you afraid? And, and then I have, so I have like those conversations with her and then my oldest daughter will be like, you're not doing this because boom, boom, boom. And she like nails it. Like she a hundred percent knows, like you said, they, they know yeah. They get to this teenage <laughs> point and like they literally know everything and they can be so different. Like one knows when I need a hug and knows like what I need physically. And the other knows like what I need to deal you to help you. And the greatest lesson in that is that they're allowed to teach us as much as we're allowed to teach them that if we listen it's amazing what they come out with. Cause you're like, Ooh, they just called me out <laughs> and, and, and it's okay. I'm going to breathe through this. <laughs> yes. You did call me out. So now I just walk around and I'm like, yeah, I'm procrastinating. That's why, or she'll walk in and I'll be like scrolling on Instagram. And she's like, what are you doing? Is that, is that work? I'm like, no, no, it's not. I'm, I'm just like mental break, but there, there's such a, a joy of an age. I, I think, and that's, I just want to, I think, share with my listeners, like how to embrace this age and how to even pull in guidance from others mm -hmm. to embrace this age or whatever, because it is such a foundational age to releasing them in onto their own. And um, I think for me, when they hit that 11, 12, 13, 14 stage, I started freaking out thinking like, oh my gosh, like they are releasing onto their own in just a few short years. And we as moms know that we blink and the years are gone and they're out there on their own. And the best thing we can do is to establish this foundation and that there's still time in the teenage years to establish and reignite and rekindle that foundation to be strong so that they know even in college, even in adult life, they can come back and you're going to see them and hear them. And, um, you know, so much of that starts with noticing what's coming up within yourself and being willing to open up to others and have others come in and help you also see it. So 
I know, I always think the world, I, we have a mutual friend and I'm always like sending her texts, like, thank goodness you shared <laughs> Shanfer with me because we, like, I needed some of your guidance as much as, um, you know, our daughter, our, our family has benefited across the board from having some of your wisdom and nuggets seep into our daughter's life and then into all of our lives. So we always thank you. And I'm so glad that you were willing to come here onto the podcast today. I'm sure though, down the road, we can find another day and chat more if um, I'm sure the listeners will love it because you're just a wealth of information. That's what I would always say, like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think like the first time my daughter was like, no, no, I don't think she has any kids. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, she is so wise. Like she's like an old wise soul. And I know that that's why she loves you because she's also an old wise soul. And there's so much depth to just the background that you bring into our life. But then that was why I wanted to have you here because I knew that you would have so much wisdom to share with my listeners to really help guide moms that are in the teenage years where we often think it's the most difficult. But it's really not if we slow down and embrace it as it is and embrace them as themselves. Mm -hmm. And of course, do all the healing along the way and allow them to show us where we need healing or what's hurting. Yeah. Yeah. So where can my listeners, um, I know that, you know, they'll know everything about you from when I share that, but is there anything going on that, like, where can they find you and chat with you? Or I know I read in your bio that with CORE, you also are you're like a director of some part of that that's for teen, teens? right? Did I read? Yeah. Yeah. So they can find me if they're interested in personal coaching and one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, for their team, they can find me at chandralamott.com. Um, and I also do through core. So I work for core, um, which is they, per they lead rites of passage workshops for men and for women. And I'm one of their lead facilitators and have been working with them for the past like six years. Um, and I, was so passionate about teen work. I was like, how do I also bring transformational group work to teens? And mm -hmm. so I work with the nonprofit branch called the Core Community Foundation, which is just corecommunityfoundation.org. And specifically we lead um, teen sharing circles that are just one hour every Tuesday or every other Tuesday, the first and third Tuesday of the month. These are completely free, just a chance for teens to have a space to share what's going on in their lives, where they're going to be heard, where they're going to be seen, um, where they can receive some guidance or inspiration if that's what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And I do lead um, also healthy body image workshops through them, other workshops that I'm creating. I I'm one of the lead facilitators for the core community foundation as well and help create all their content for uh, workshops because I love group work too. So right. um, sounds busy, but great. And I know um, our daughter joined for a couple of your Tuesday calls yes. and then also is joining in for that new year. I think that's this coming weekend yes. or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. That new year, like team group that you're hosting with CORE. So I know they do some 
amazing work and that's a separate, I've just heard so much about them and actually always planned on jumping into one of my own healing or workshops with them. So at some point, I'm sure, but great. Well, then they know where to find you and I'm sure we'll have you back at some point because everybody will love hearing your wealth of wisdom and all of that. And I just thank you for coming and being a part of the podcast today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm happy You're to welcome. come on whenever you want. You yeah. know, we both talk so many things about how much you and I click and get along and just really resonate with each other. And I do think so much of it is your willingness to yeah, sit in stillness and to turn towards these wounds and the depth and courage that that requires. And again, just me as a, someone that works with, you know, one of your daughters, I don't take that lightly because I have worked mm-hmm. with parents in the past that that's just a little too fragile for them to go look at, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. It's a fragile place to turn towards that. It's a scary place to turn towards that. So it is, um, it is. And I think it's the place where they need, it's so fragile that the recognition that we both, whether, you know, your daughter may need somebody to walk with her, but that you also like, it, it's hard to be alone on that journey, no matter which part of the journey you are or whatever it's hard to be alone and to be in that space and I am only where I am because I chose to seek out somebody to walk with me and you know I yeah there was therapy off and on but the day I chose a coach to she literally dropped into my life and it was a very interesting strange she actually came through the daughter that you work with she is her, she's connected to her one music teacher, but she, um, God, the universe was at work for that one. (laughs) She just dropped into my life. It was very interesting. But the day I chose to make a change and to put myself, because I didn't know it was healing per se that needed to be done. I just knew I needed, I didn't feel right. Like something just didn't feel happy inside and um, having someone to walk with you, whether it's the mom or the daughter or together and, um, you know, to see and hear each other in that place. So that's so important. And I think such a valuable tool to go forward in your relationship as a mother and a daughter, because it's one of the most sacred bonds that carry with you through through life. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It really is. So just thank you for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having this podcast. Thank you. Yeah. 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 All right. Then we'll be, we'll have you back sometime and you have a great day. Thank you. You too.